Happy Sabbath. We are again delighted that you are with us. And we're also very excited that we get to talk about Sabbath school and our lesson as the calendar continues to move forward. And another month in this brand new 2023 begins to draw to a close. Now we've got a conversation today that is going to focus on this idea of offerings. But before we begin, I think it would be apropos for us to offer prayer. So wherever you are, I'm going to invite you to pray with us. Dear God, thank you so much for the infinite amount of blessings that you continue bestowing upon us. Thank you for the wonders of your creation. Thank you for the weather, thank you for life, thank you for hope, thank you for peace, thank you for love, thank you for joy. Father, as we live in a world that continues to be just a place of pain, as we think about people who have lost loved ones in the slew of mass shootings that have afflicted our state over the past week, we just would pray, Father, that our conversation, that our time together may simply provide a respite, a moment, or an oasis of hope, uh, something that, pro that can provide some sort of encouragement to someone that needs them, we, that needs it. We just want to be used by you, God, so please use us. And we pray these things in your name. So it's, uh, what is it, the 27th of January already. Can you believe that? I know. It feels like this new year is just flying by. Uh, incredible, huh? Incredible. <laughs> We're already a month into 2023. Wow. I'm still writing 2022 on all my stuff, so I, I'm, know. I still haven't gotten used to the twenty. How long does that take to... Usually to get I get it around November or December. And then... Okay. <laughs> so we're almost there. Almost yeah. there. How's uh, the whole, I, we've talked about uh, new uh, year resolutions and uh, how you sometimes do them, how you sometimes don't do them. I know that this year you hadn't thought about it mm -hmm. that much uh, or you weren't planning on it. But ha have you found that anything new uh, has been happening at the O House in this 2023? Any, any changes or still all is calm on the Western Front? It's it's been a good beginning of the year for us. Um, it feels like um, we're finally hitting our stride as far as things, knowing how things are going. Mm -hmm. You know, that whenever whenever our kids transition to a different school, so our my oldest went into junior high last year, mm -hmm. and so that was sort of a big transition. Now she's in eighth grade. Our our youngest is in sixth grade, and so things we feel like we know things that's going to change dramatically 
when one goes next to year. high school <laughs> next year and the other one goes into junior high and then it will be an all upheaval. But right now is sort of the eye of the storm, right? Mm. It's the peace and calm before the storm. So we're enjoying that. Yeah. Good, good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yes, it's incredible. Uh, when you came on board, what is it, six years ago? Almost six years now. Um, yeah, yeah I, I remember your girls were, were so tiny and now they're both young women. So that yeah. is... That's always kind of this interesting existential crisis for me as I see, you know, children growing mm. up, because that means I'm growing older. Yeah. And so that's that's a difficult <laughs> pill to swallow. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Becca's going into ninth grade. Mm. Uh, she's going to be a fresh, uh, fresh woman in high school. Yeah. And then Millie's going into eighth, seventh grade, so mm -hmm. she'll be in junior high. So that's incredible. You've got two young ladies in your home which I am sure is not going to be upheaval at all. It's going to be all calm. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm expecting it to yeah. be just peaceful yeah. and calm and no drama at no, all. Right. <laughs> no. How about you? You're going to have a junior high student I student am, too. I am. I am. So my eldest is uh, in the same grade as, as your youngest. And mm -hmm. so they're both moving. Very excited to move on, as you know, into yeah. the other side of the school and into the other side of the Sabbath school world as well. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. My youngest will be in pre-K, I think, or kindergarten. And one of those two. Yeah. It gets jumbled. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're, we're excited. We're excited to see uh, kind of what uh, that world looks like. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we will be excited to have our kids on the same side of drop-offs mm. and pickups now that's going to be that's mm. going to be great at Loma Linda yeah. you guys are going to have to keep doing the back and for forth a long for a long time for a long time yeah yeah for a long time ours ours hasn't even started elementary so we've got, <laughs> we've got about six years with with our little one of, of doing that but oh. you know what it's it's just really really interesting how you mention that you're finally starting to get comfortable and mm. I think that that feeling actually goes beyond, right? Just kind of finding your rhythm in, as a, in terms of your kids' schooling. I think most of us are starting to feel a bit more comfortable mm -hmm. with life in general. Mm -hmm. um, it took us a few years to kind of understand mm -hmm. what was going to happen or how we were going to come back, what the world was going to look like. And I think uh, maybe this past half of this past year and uh, this new 2023, there's something different about it. It feels kind of normal. It feels like we all have recovered uh, the sense of where we're going. Yeah, definitely. It's it's now more of a living with COVID thing than it is right. that whole um, acute um, situation where we're not sure what's what's happening. Everything feels like an emergency mm -hmm. everything. So all of that has sort of dissipated. We, we, you know, we have, we have vaccinations and we have treatments. And of course, people are still, there are some people still suffering and, and even dying from this, but um, it feels like we now at least know how to live and what to expect in the long term. Yeah. 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 And so that is, I think, why, right? We have such an interesting uh, lesson study for this quarter yeah. because obviously, right, uh, when you're starting to be, everything starts to normalize, they want to throw out just this enthralling, enthralling 13-week study that I'm sure 
you all were enjoying. We're talking about, obvious, of course, stewardship. And so last week we talked a little bit about uh, tithes. This week uh, the pendulum swings over and we start talking a bit about offerings. Uh, we're going to look, just to spoil it for you at home, we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, uh, found in the Gospel of Mark. But I was thinking uh, this week, as, as we were planning and preparing and talking a bit about what we were going to do uh, to share today, um, I was thinking that probably a really good place to start would be simply to give our main definition between tithes and offerings, because mm. even among Adventists, uh, I, I find there's a bit of confusion <laughs> about uh, what happens to tithes and what happens to offerings. So I'm going to turn it to you and have you give us your three-set definition of the difference between <laughs> tithes and offerings. So tithes, how we've typically seen it and how it seems to come out through in Scripture is a returning, it's a, an act of trust to God, right? Mm -hmm. we've, we've emphasized that over and over again. It's, it's our way of returning 10% to God um, in recognition that the whole piece belongs to him, that everything we have came from him, that 10% we return to God. And in the Adventist church, that's typically been to, there's a whole system that goes up to the church and then um, to the conference and, and then up through union and division and GC, and then some of it filters down as well, right? So that's that's how tithe has typically been done. Offerings, on the other hand, and I like how the, the, the lesson st study said it, Offerings come from our 90%, mm -hmm. right? And it is a, a gesture, a gift of generosity. And it's, it's a practice that actually helps us grow our generosity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, whenever we talk about tithes and offerings, it almost feels like what you, you said in the beginning, where when we talk about tithes and we get to a place of, okay, I can handle this, I know what I'm doing, and then you throw offerings in there, and all of a sudden it scrambles right. everything. Right. Like what? I'm just getting comfortable with ten percent. You're telling me you have to give me, you have to, we have to give in addition to that ten percent. So it can definitely be unsettling. I don't know. What's what's your? I I think you nailed it. I think the primary difference, right, is uh, the the ten percent is an act of worship. It is simply a symbol of our recognition of God's dominion over everything we possess. The offering is, I've, at least the way I've typically understood it, it's a, a representation of my desire to participate in that which God is already doing in my community. And so that's why I'm very comfortable with the way that uh, the system in Adventism looks like, because as you're saying, right, the tithe goes up, 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 up the, this level, and we're not going to talk about church hierarchy or church structure. It just goes up these levels, and then you're absolutely right. Some of it, some of it uh, trickles down. Offering stays at the local church, mm -hmm. and offering uh, helps uh, the local church do a myriad of uh, ministries and uh, that are impacting uh, the community that the church is called to serve in a very real and meaningful way. And so whereas I think tithe is simply our commitment to the whole, um, whether it's uh, structurally or in, uh, in the sense that uh, the lesson in the Bible talk about it, uh, whether it's our desire to participate in worship and co-partner with God by recognizing that he is 
the master of everything. Offering is our way of saying, how can I improve my local community, this area that uh, by actually uh, giving towards things that excite me, things that I'm passionate about, things that I care about, uh, things uh, where God has called me uh, to participate with them locally. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and offerings are essential for, like you said, for local ministry. Mm. Um, we're reliant on the generosity and the offerings of so many of our members and many of you who view online as well, who, who joined this community through virtual means, just met one of you um, or two of you um, from from um, our virtual congregation. And you shared how you watch um, every, every week and even debrief the sermons with a small group on Zoom, mm. which I, I, I found fascinating. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's that generosity that en enables us to do things like um, the Sabbath school, to have our um, media ministries, to have um, our, the Sabbath schools that our children enjoy so much, mm -hmm. which is why we also support those Sabbath schools. Um, so those offerings are important for local. Those offering offerings, though, doesn't don't necessarily have to stay in the local church too. An offering can be to a different right. ministries, different um, different things that you are passionate about and want to support. And what you see in the Old Testament is when you see all the different offerings the typical Israelite mm -hmm. gave. It, I, I don't remember the exact number, but it was it was it ended up being around. 25 to 30 percent of their income um, that actually went to all of these different offerings, mm -hmm. um, acts of worship, um, sin offerings, all of these things, which is incredible if you think about it, how much the Israelites gave. And and we know that in, in Jewish culture, it was it's always been a part of their rhythm to take care of mm -hmm. the widows and the orphans. Right. And, and that also was an offering as well. And Paul Paul describes this in in uh, in his letters, how as he talks about how he's raising um, funds from from the Hellenistic world to take back to Jerusalem to care for um, these poor widows and orphans, and so there is there is um, this outpouring of generosity that it's in addition to the tithe mm. that people gave. And I think that's a really that's a really good segue. Um, when people tell us, for example, "Hey, I tithe um, at your church." I say, great, thank you. But please know that the ministries that you're seeing in the local church are not supported in full by your tithe. Uh, they're supported by your offerings. So if we're doing anything that you want to participate in, or there's something in your community, in your local church, in your area, or there's, as you're saying, a ministry from the Adventist church, be it education or ADRA or any of the fantastic ministries that we have, consider giving, consider them uh, as you as you think about your offering, but often we get a bit worried uh, and we get a bit tongue twisted uh, when we start talking about money, because it's it's not the most comfortable thing. I am a big uh, supporter of National Public Radio, and I love National Public Radio um, mainly because it's it's I find it interesting and I find that there's some stories there that are just moving and. Uh, it's a different way of doing journalism, and it's kind of crowdsourced, and so I love it. 
What I don't like is a couple times, at least every quarter, they start with this uh, giving campaign. And so you have these shows that, that you're listening to and they stop the show and in comes uh, whoever. Uh, in my case, one of my favorite participants of NPR is Ira Glass. And so Ira Glass will say, hey, just remember us. And it kind of... And I understand why they have to do it, but it is a bit annoying. And so I think just living in that milieu has created in us pastors a a kind of a hesitance or a reticence to talk about money. Um, But the truth is, there is no other subject that Jesus expounds upon more Mm. than money. And often... We get nervous because we know in an uncertain economy, in a time that is uh, where there is a lot of upheaval, again, that word, financially, uh, giving something is going to hurt. And I think that's the point that I come away, the prime point that I come away after listening uh, and after spending some time with the lesson this, this week. Time and offering are supposed to hurt. Mm. And so I think it's important that we that we just are open and candid and honest with you as our viewers about that. It yeah. is going to hurt. Uh, because it doesn't hurt because if it doesn't hurt, then it is not sacrificial. You're talking mm. about the Israelite experience in the Old Testament. Yeah. It was painful. It was meant to be painful. Um, and so I think sometimes in a effort to domesticate what scripture has to say about finances, we forget that fi- that giving is sacrificial. And we're going to talk in a minute about a story, I think, that illustrates that yeah. Uh, perfectly. Yeah. And, and so the question that comes from, and I think the, the, the lesson did a masterful job of highlighting how um, giving is supposed to be sacrificial and that it is central to worship. Mm-hmm. It's an act of worship, right? Um, that they that in scripture is found different components of worship. There's no run of there's no order of service that's given throughout scripture, but but that the components of of, of praise, of singing, and of of prayer and of the word, right? And of giving is always a part mm-hmm. of worship. So why do you think and maybe this is this is going to bleed into our discussion of the story. Why why is it so important to God that giving is a part of worship, and especially that sacrificial giving is a part of worship? Why is that so so crucial to God, and why is that so central to the act of worship that we give as a part of it? I think it's I think it's because. Uh, a lot of particularly in Jewish thought. Remember, in Jewish thought the concept of God was abstract, mm-hmm. right? There were there were no paintings, no images, no stained, beautiful stained windows, no cathedrals. Mm-hmm. There was nothing because uh, God wanted to, con- to continue maintaining this reality of holy otherness. Mm-hmm. And so from the from the very beginning, uh, Israel's main problem was 
that they couldn't handle the uncertainty of this concept, this idea of a God that both wanted to be relatable, mm -hmm. but, but wanted to remain abstract. Yeah. And so they ultimately tried to control God mm. by encasing this abstract concept in gold or silver or precious stones. Time and time again, there's this temptation to create idols using gold, silver, and precious stones. Mm. And the reason for that, I think, is because in the human mind and in, our, uh, in, in the economy of what we value, wealth is right at the top. Mm. And so I think there's always this, this desire to attempt to encase that which is wholly other mm -hmm. in the material and in the financial, whether that be with your gold or now uh, with your finances. And it's very easy to get, to get distracted. And so I think that's why uh, God actually wants, want, wanted to continue promoting mm -hmm. a, I would, I would think, I would say a rather loose relationship with money, mm -hmm. um, because other ways the temptation there uh, to, to encase, and I don't want to start with the tired trope of, well, money becomes your idol, mm -hmm. uh, because I think you, you all have heard it, and we don't want to simply rehash things that we've all heard growing up in church. But I do think that sometimes we attempt to encase God in the material, mm. beautiful and, and, and rich as it is, and it's just another way in which we attempt to control God. And so in order to prevent from that, God says, well, how about you have a really loose relationship with money? Hmm. So he's trying to allow us to um, loosen the grips that money has mm -hmm. over us um, as a way. So it's sort of like um, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is mm. there, your heart will be also. Right. So by giving up our money to God, it's our way of releasing money's mm -hmm. hold on us and saying that God is more important to us right. than the wealth that we are trying to cling right. to. Right. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah, and, and you know, think about think about how um, the majority of wealth in in Israel uh, was was accumulated and was utilized. Right, um, you had the ark, uh, but God makes it very clear throughout the Torah that holy and wonderful as the ark is, the ark is not God. Mm. Um, then the ark gets uh, shifted. Uh, to the temple, to the temple, and beautiful as the temple was, uh, the temple wasn't God. Mm. And there's a really interesting story uh, that uh, that illustrates this point. And we're going to jump into Mark 13 in a second. But I, my mind just kept coming to the story in the Old Testament uh, that I think illustrates this point. So during Hezekiah's reign, Hezekiah gets sick, and we know that Hezekiah gets sick. And Hezekiah is probably, uh, well, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah, probably the only decent kings after, after Solomon and David. Mm -hmm. And so Hezekiah gets sick. Uh, God tells him through, the, through his prophet, hey, you're going to die. Hezekiah says, hey, I look at all I've done. You know, I've tried to tear down the altars to Baal. Uh, and so God ultimately gives him 15 more years. And as a sign... Uh, the sun moves backwards. Mm. And this phenomenon is viewed in Babylon. 
And so the Babylonians, who at this point aren't uh, the major power brokers in the ancient Near East, send some, astrol some astrologers and some dignitaries to visit Hezekiah in Jerusalem. And Hezekiah then takes them and shows them the wealth that he has. He shows them the storehouses with gold and the rooms full of silver and the beautiful uh, ivory. And in the, in the reader's mind, uh, you see that this moment that could have been utilized to extol the power that Yahweh has as the giver of life instead is used to extol the power that money has mm. as that which provides you security. And uh, it is one, that's one of those uh, of the reasons mm. why on his way to Carchemish, Nebuchadnezzar decides to stop in Jerusalem because the Babylonians know about, about the wealth of Jerusalem. Yeah. So an interesting question just to, play around in, in, in your conversation today as you're having lunch is had, had Hezekiah not shown these, these rooms full of uh, wealth and precious stones and gold and silver, would have Nebuchadnezzar stopped over mm. this really insignificant kingdom on his way uh, to fight the Egyptians? Perhaps not. And then perhaps the story of the exile doesn't occur. Um, and this is all because we, we focused on, on perhaps on the wrong thing. Yeah. And before we judge Hezekiah too strongly, I wonder if we do the same thing too when when people talk about even even with churches when we talk about the impact of churches, do we dwell too much on the wrong things? Do we dwell on you know the technology and which again, there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with technology, but on the technology and on the, you know, all all these constructs that we use instead of on the fact that actually God is what makes all of those things viable and God is is the one who makes everything else work. Mm. You know, for Hezekiah, it, it, I, I understand why he, even bragging about those things may have in his mind been, about, right. been bragging about God, yeah. like God is the one who gave us Look all this it. stuff. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, he, he focused too much like you said, on the wrong thing, mm -hmm. instead of focusing their eyes on God, mm -hmm. the God who made all of that possible, they keep, you focused on the blessings that God had given. And that's a, that's I think a really delicate line that we have to that we have to use because we all like uh, beautiful things. Mm -hmm. uh, human beings are created as aesthetic creatures. We like beautiful things, and we like to have a comfort. Nobody likes discomfort. Um, and we like uh, to have the capacity to reach, to reach uh, a bigger audience, particularly because we think we have something to share into the con to the consciousness of uh, the world out there. But I think what you're saying, and definitely what we want people people to to come away with, is the ministry that is done here at Loma Linda is in no way more valuable or more valid or different than the ministry that uh, happens at a small country church with 50 people. Mm. Um, the scope might be a bit bigger, uh, but the ministry remains the same. Yeah. And so I, I think it's important when we talk about money to be honest to be open, to be transparent, as we've been attempting to do over the past couple of weeks, 
it's important to say, hey, you know what? If it's not hurting, then we're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. It needs to hurt. But it's also important to know and to say that if you come out on our campus and marvel at, uh, you know, our wonderful media building and our new ministries building and our fantastic sanctuary and all the gizmos and gadgets that we have in there, that that isn't the main point. Mm -hmm. uh, that if uh, there's an earthquake or a fire and it all burns down, we will be here the following week recording on our phones. Uh, and Zach will be having to hold both our iPhones in each hand, and we'll be trying to send that out because we don't we don't do this uh, because of the building or uh, or the technology or the comfort. We do it because we are trying to utilize that which God has gifted us in order to bring some hope and some joy into people's lives. And that's what we see throughout Scripture that that it really it has to do with the state of the giver's heart. Mm -hmm. um, then it has to do with the resources that they give, right. which is emphasized in the passage that we're going to study now, yeah. right? So Jesus sat down, Matthew uh, chapter 12, verse 41, uh, opposite the place where the offerings were put, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Mm. Now, mind you, it's important to understand what the temple treasury is. Uh, it's not like our church business office uh, and the offering isn't like the deacons that you coordinate uh, Sabbath after Sabbath mm. to faithfully pick up the offering. The temple treasury was actually the financial hub of the of Judea and so it was less church on Sabbath and more Wall Street mm. and it's important for, for us to realize how the scene uh, needs to be looked at because mm -hmm. if you see some, if you see uh, someone that may not have the best clothes or might not possess the most resources, uh, walking into church and giving uh, what they can, the scene isn't as shocking as and as jarring as Mark is attempting it to be. Mm -hmm. So imagine instead uh, that we have someone disheveled. Uh, walking in, uh, holes in their clothes, uh, a, a distinct smell, unkept hair, uh, and they're walking in to uh, Wall Street where the Dow Jones is being traded, mm -hmm. and they're going to buy some stock. That's the That's closer to the scene, so that you can imagine how really jarring it would have been to see this widow mm. uh, walking into the temple treasury. So it's less, hey, let's pick up offering at church. It's more opening bell uh, at Wall Street. And Jesus is there watching. And mm. as he is watching, it says, many people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. Mm worth only a few cents. Mm. Calling the disciples to him, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They gave out of the, their wealth, but she in poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Mm. It's really, really easy, isn't it? 
to desensitize ourselves to how biting those words are. Mm. Because what Jesus seems to be saying is when it comes to what you give, God wants everything, mm -hmm. not what you can afford. And that might be a rather unpopular message. I struggled with this, honestly, Joey, this week. Because in my mind, the image of the prosperity gospel preacher that makes a buck out of faith continued uh, and continues to trouble me. Uh, people that are peddling faith and the gospel uh, in order to make money, that's, a, that's something that I know we don't want anything to do with. Mm -hmm. And yet the text is clear. Jesus seems to be saying, God doesn't want what you can afford. God wants everything you have. Wow. Which is a hard message because when we talk about 10%, we're like, okay, 10%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can do 10%. Um, even though it's hard. Um, and it is very countercultural. Like when you, when you talk to, when I talk to some of my friends who, who are not Christians and who don't go to church, um, aren't religious, and they talk about what, 10% of your gross? Your, I mean, that's like a huge amount in their minds. Like, how could you possibly, like, there's so much you can do with that. So even that seems a lot. When you talk about this woman who gives all that she had, granted, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was everything that she had. The question that my friends would ask is, that doesn't make any financial sense at all. Like, how could God be asking for everything, right? Wasn't that almost irresponsible for her to give everything that she had? Like, what is she going to live on? How is she going to survive? Who's going to take care of this, this woman uh, now that she's given everything that she has to God, right? So there's almost a sense, if you look at it from the, the perspective of, uh, of a non-religious eyes, it, 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 seems, it seems disturbingly um, irresponsible mm -hmm. what this woman does. And yet God, yet Jesus looks at this scene and compliments the woman on it. So how do we how do we reconcile this? Because like you said, it's for it's very easy for us in the especially in the church community to sort of get desensitized to how radical what what happened here was. Um, how do we how do we reconcile the fact that this was so radical and 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 yet Jesus is complimenting mm -hmm. her? I'm gonna go one step further. So you know, uh, in our in our church here uh, with our with our team. Every Tuesday, we have uh, uh, worship time together. And now, with our broader community, we're introducing this concept of Financial Peace University. We found that as yeah, particularly younger people enter the workforce, uh, the temptation to make unsavvy and really unhealthy financial decisions mm -hmm. is present. And yeah. so what we're trying to teach, and I think rightly so, mm -hmm. is some financial responsibility. I don't know how we would, I don't know how I, forget about your friends that are not, that are non-religious. I don't know how I would react if you, if you come to my home and tomorrow say, Hey, you know what? I need, I need, I need you to give, uh, Sarah and the girls and me uh, some dinner because I, I just took both our paychecks 
and I deposit, I sent it to this really, really amazing charity that's doing some great work, and we don't have any money for the next two weeks. <laughs> I don't know. I, honestly, I would have, obviously, I would invite you in because, you know, you're my colleague and my friend, and uh, I love you guys, and you're all your family, <laughs> so obviously, I would do that. But in the back of my mind, I would have been like, Joey's lost his mind. He's gone crazy. Yeah. And so I think it's not just a people that are non-religious. Among people that are religious, we often forget that Jesus wasn't about financial security. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need to be about financial security. But it does mean that Jesus uh, said, hey, look, look at the look at the birds of the air. Look at the grass. Look at the lilies of the field. I don't have a fox. Foxes have holes and dens, but I don't have a place to lay my head. Um, And when I read that, when I read that, those series of texts, I think a lot about Blanche Dubois, the the heroine from uh, that famous play, A Streetcar Named Desire. I live based on the generosity of strangers, Mm -hmm. is what Jesus is saying. And that is really countercultural. Not just outside, but in the church. And so how do we get comfortable with this ragged Jesus that is making apparently no provision for the future and that is actually living a life on a song and a prayer, believing that God will provide? How do we make peace with this woman? I know that's the question you ask. Mm -hmm. And I think... uh, the start of the ad to the answer is Jesus is alerting the disciples to that reality mm. because Jesus is trying to elicit a response from the disciples. Mm. In other words, Jesus is trying to create not only sacrificial givers, but communities that will take in those sacrificial givers. Mm. So the hope would have been that uh, the couple denarii in the purse uh, that, the, that the disciples carried would have somehow, some way, found uh, their way to the woman's table. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's very important to, to realize. Is, as we talked about before, it was a part of the ethic of the Jewish community to care for these widows. There was a safety net, mm-hmm. right? It's not like she gave everything she had and then there was nothing. She had no means to go on. She, there was a safety net for her. And even, um, even in the, a lot of the uh, examples that the uh, lesson talks about of this, these overwhelming generous gifts like Barnabas, right? Mm-hmm. Who who sells the land and donates all of it to the community. Well, this was in the context of a community that was taking care of Correct. the entire community, right? So it's not so much like he's giving this private funds to the whole community. He's not going to get anything back. He's giving it to a community that he's a part of. And he's saying, this is a resource that I want to share with everyone. Mm-hmm. He's still going to get some, but I want to share it with everyone right. because it's it's... It's um, it's out of that generosity of giving that he he felt like it was important to do that. And on the flip side, we have Ananias and Sapphira, who want the the security of the community but don't want to give everything right, right? and lie to the community yeah. about that. So, so definitely, so there is this sense that the community will take care of them as well. So that is a part of it. And yet, even in that context, that's hard to give because. 
um, especially in our capitalistic culture mm-hmm. where we where we have this belief in the self-made person and the fact that you know I you know, who you get what you earned right to to say that uh, that what I earn is not just for me it's for everyone is a hard shift to make mm-hmm. now I'm not advocating for any particular social or economic um, economic system right but it does seem in scripture that whether it's it's a governmental policy or if it's a it's it actually is more of a personal ethic that that this this view that what I have is not just for me right and that's hard it's hard when you introduce I think and you're you're touching and teasing out the point that I think is so important to realize Eugene Peterson I was reading this week in conjunction uh, with the lesson um, he he talks about being able he, he has this wonderful wonderful quote he says uh, let me hear the church sing and I will tell you it's theology mm. let me hear let me see the church give and I will tell you their community mm-hmm. and so I think what Peterson is trying to say is you you can only give recklessly when you are part of a community mm-hmm. um, mark 14 you have Jesus is be- Jesus being anointed at Bethany and again it's a scene of reckless giving. Yeah. It's a scene of reckless giving that does cause pause mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with the with people, not just the people around Jesus, because of uh, a woman touching him and, and washing his feet and his, and drying uh, his feet. But among the disciples, there's this discomfort. There's this idea of, man, you're being really reckless financially. Um, so I think that's the first thing that we need to realize. The second thing is we're not going to advocate. I'm going to say that again because you just mentioned it. Mentioned it. Um, we're not saying that one economic system is better than another economic system. We're saying that economic systems, the world round, are constructs. Mm-hmm. And they're constructs created by human beings. And because they're constructs created by human beings, um, they're... There's gaps there. There's cracks. Uh, the construct of money itself is problematic, and it's artificial to the way God created societies to function in, in the beginning. In the beginning, you didn't have money. You had a barter, a barter system, right? You had something that I needed. I had something that you needed. We were both engaged in community, and so we shared it. And it, the, the sharing of it not only strengthened our relationship, but it benefited both of us. Mm-hmm. Now, when Israel attempt, and so you see that at the at the outset, right? You see that the people of God leaving Egypt have a very loose relationship with their gold and their earrings and their necklaces because it's great. But it's not that important to them. What's yeah. important to them is cattle and crops and things that we can share. Uh, it's kind of the same as uh, when uh, the Europeans came to the Americas and there was all this gold and, you know, people that were inhabiting this continent said, yeah, you should take this. The real important thing is the corn and the grain um, and the things that we as a community share. 
money itself then is introduced later on with the monarchy mm -hmm. as a way in which to connect and to be like other nations. And so there you have this construct that is created. And I'm again, I'm, I use money. I have a bank account. Um, and hey, we need money in the society. But it's important to remember that that is a human construct. Mm. Um, it's not something that God created, because what God created was communities that looked out for each other. That's true. And you know, having money really has made it so much easier to hoard, mm. right? Like when you, when it was all about corn and cattle, there's only so much you can hoard because it's gonna go bad, right? So you have you have to share. The, the, the thought of one person controlling so much capital and so much of the finance, I mean, that would, that's just mind blowing mm -hmm. in, in that kind of society because you had to share. There was an interdependency. Mm -hmm. Now with money, it's kind of broken that interdependency, mm -hmm. made us more independent, and made it easier for us to hoard funds, hoard way more than we could possibly want or need. And, and, and yet God is saying, even in our culture, saying to us, that's why I want you to give. Right. To loosen the, the, the bands and hold that money has on you. So that you don't hoard because hoarding feeds jealous, feeds selfishness, right? We all just live through a pandemic and we know how mm. prone we are to just think about ourselves. It makes absolutely no sense that over the past 40 years, the income gap has grown. And now I was just reading, Joey, on The Economist that over the past three months, the wealthy, or now he's the second wealthiest person in the world, has lost $40 billion, 40 with a B in three months. Um, and so when I say, well, where, let's quantify this. Where is this money? Well, it's not real, right? It's all, it's, it's in, and I don't understand how economy works. It's in the stock market somewhere. And, um, but I understand how cattle works. I understand how food works. And so I think what you're, what you're saying is really important. The more money or the more this construct be becomes abstract, the more it starts sounding and feeling a lot like God was supposed to sound, right? Remember, we started by saying that God was this abstract concept. And now what we have is money, which um, you, can, you can't really see or touch or feel. I mean, the, the actual uh, bills that we have in, in, in our wallets, not that most of us carry cash anymore, but those are, it's just paper and mm -hmm. it's a, it's an act of faith every time we turn it into a, to a store. Uh, the money that's in our banks uh, is, is contingent to uh, a shift in the stock market mm -hmm. or a shift uh, in the value of, of our currency. Um, and it's this abstract thing that occupies so much power and that mm. we devote so much so much time to uh so i don't know maybe maybe uh maybe joey and i will move friends we'll go to the mountains somewhere and start a commune and exchange goats for cheese and <laughs> corn and grain uh 
But until we do that, uh, I think the call is to be generous mm -hmm. with our resources, with, whether those be time, finances, uh, care, compassion, all these things. Yeah, I love that. Because as what we're seeing in this passage is that, and we're going to say this many times throughout this quarter, I think, that the that what God doesn't want is for money to be our master. Mm -hmm. He wants us to be the master of our money. Right. And one thing that, one way to make sure that we're the master of money, I love how you said this, the one way to make sure that we're the master of money and that money is not the master of us is to see it as an opportunity for community, right? Money, wealth, resources, blessings, they are an opportunity for community because when we share share resources, that's when community is, is strengthened. And so doing that is one of the blessings that come from giving our offerings to God. We use our resources in order in order to create community. Joey, why don't you pray as we as we close our time together here? Our good and gracious God, we want to thank you so much for being a God who trusts us enough to, to give us blessings. And even when we've many times messed it up, where we've taken them and taken your blessings and, and used it for our own purposes rather than what you, you wanted it to be, an opportunity for us to connect to each other. So we ask that you not only bless us, but also Bless us with the wisdom to use your blessings wisely is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And dear friend, uh, whatever your financial situation is, may you respond recklessly to the most reckless gift of them all, our God's grace. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.